Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Ruthless murderer. And he has a whore as an accomplice. I am not a whore. I'm from England. The English whore. You a doc? Hi. I'm a doctor. Got me a woman that ain't working. Need you to fix it. Hello, welcome everyone to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. I am Michael Flores, your host for today's broadcast. And in the studio, riding side saddle, is Clint. Hello, Clint. Hi. Yeah. I'm just hanging in there. Yeah. They'll get they'll get the joke. In in time. <laughs> I'm gonna tie your hands together and uh throw you on the back of my horse. Until I can find someone to fix my problem. And then you better look out, Clint. Yeah. What are you going to do with me? I plan to give you a poke. Yeah. People will know exactly what we're talking about in a second here. (laughs) Uh, Today, we're going to be reviewing and discussing the Western film Good for Nothing uh, with a running time of 92 minutes. Good for Nothing is a 2012 New Zealand-made Western film starring Ing Raid Mayer and Cohen Holloway. And it was directed and written by Mike Wallace. Interestingly, the film, along with uh, director Mike Wallace, has been included in Leonard Maltin's 50 notable debut features of the past 20 years list in the wow. New York Times bestseller. Yeah. And if people don't know who Leonard Moulton is, I mean, this guy is a is a well-known, if not one of the most famous American film critics and film historians. And the fact that he put this film in 50 notable debut features should tell people something. Because this film, it's not Schindler's List, but there <laughs> is a... There is a creative charm to yes. it. It's smart. It's funny. It's silly. Well, let me just get into this. All right. So the synopsis, a young English woman is immigrating to her uncle's ranch, but is kidnapped on the way by a rugged outlaw who discovers a problem he never knew he had, <laughs> leading them on a wild ride across the West. Let me rewrite that synopsis, Clint. I think um, I'll probably do a better job. You let me know, okay? I will. The 
real synopsis. An outlaw kidnaps a woman with the intent to rape her, but his dick quit working. <laughs> and so he travels the countryside looking for a doctor to fix his dick, only to find out that true love is the cure for his cock problems. Yahtzee. <laughs> you like that? You like that one? I, it's, you know, it's a, it's a true synopsis. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was the actual official synopsis? Do you think this movie would have ever been made? No, it would have been hard to make it. I mean, so stupid. <laughs> Don't go soft on me, Michael. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just the cheesiness of it all. I know. <laughs> People might think we're going way over the top here, but that's quite literally the concept. It is. And it's an amazing concept. It really is. So look, so I, wanted to, I wanted to hate this movie so we could just bash it and bash it. Yeah. And, you know, we've we even talked about it when we brought it up uh, when we were talking about what we were going to do. And I'm like, yeah. what's this one about? And I'm like, oh, started watching it. I text you. I'm like, dude, we're going to have so much fun. But that was like in the first. 10 minutes of the, the flip yeah. film. And then I'm like, I don't hate this movie. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I had the exact same thought. Cause I wasn't quite sure. I know the preview was interesting. When I watched the trailer the fact that this was called a Kiwi spaghetti Western. I'm like, okay, Leonard Moulton put it on his list of top, you know, 20 films or, or new films, notable debuts. I'm like, all right. I'm like, uh, let's get into this. And then those opening 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, I, I don't understand what's going on. And then about five minutes go by and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't need to know what's going on. This is amazing. Yeah. This is fantastic. It's such an, a, a truly an effing simple film too. The director yes. probably came up with this idea during a drunk night with his boys. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine him talking around the, uh, the cocktail table? Be like, hey, I have an idea for a movie. All right. Check this out. A guy wants to rape a chick but he can't because the dick doesn't work. And then they fall in love. Well, they were sitting around and probably just went, Hey man, do you think they had erectile dysfunction back in the old West? Wait a minute. Erectile dysfunction in the old West. Huh? I have an idea. <laughs> if I was a Hollywood exec and I was in an elevator and I was like, you have, you have until I get to my level to pitch me on this story on this film and he said erectile dysfunction in the west sold, sold. rapist rapist has erectile dysfunction I, I your synopsis perfect your synopsis yeah. right away no but with all seriousness clint i have no idea how he pitched this idea because whatever exact actually heard his pitch he must have totally believed in this guy yeah, because honestly, we're joking here. Dis uh, erectile dysfunction in the West. I'm like, dude, get the hell out of here. Come on. <laughs> and then he's all, no, seriously, here, read this. It's a love story. <laughs> Let me get this straight. The lead actor is a rapist. Right. OK. And the only thing preventing him from raping this woman. Is his dick doesn't work. Correct. <laughs> He wouldn't have a job anymore. Like if right. I was his boss, I'd be like, what? Get out of here. I would love 
not no i need i need to know the story behind how this movie got made because i cannot imagine even in 2011 yes our social climate has drastically changed in the last what nine ten years but even 2011 the fact that this movie was made is mind-blowing and my hat is off to the executives and studio willing to take a risk on something uh, unique like this. So, Clint, give me your initial thoughts. Let's get serious. Let's get official here. Well, like I said, when we discussed it, I wanted to kind of have some fun and kind of bash it, uh, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, and again, 10 minutes in, I'm texting you. I'm like, we're going to have so much fun. And then I was going to text you back about 15 minutes later and go, I think I might have been wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because A, my initial thoughts were after about 20 minutes of it, this is not as goofy as I thought it was going to be. This is actually right. like kind of clever. It's it's a traditional Western with a non-traditional storyline. Right. I it it's it was it was unique. It was new. It was uh damn near special. <laughs> because yeah. you we rarely ever get to see a western where well, we never, I don't think, have ever seen a western with this problem and it takes us on a journey. And throughout this journey there's something that's happening. And yeah. uh, his I'm dick sure we'll is get slowly in- getting hard. Yeah, and as I'm sure the we'll, movie progresses. We'll, we'll get into it, but you know, and then you had the uh, the posse that was after him, and it just worked. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I was really surprised at how well uh, this everything worked. Yeah, I'm a little ashamed of myself. I know I say this every time we miss a western when one escapes our radar, but this is a film that we should have known about. And I have never heard of this. I found this completely by accident. Um, when we were planning uh, our Western films that we're going to be discussing throughout 2020, I just simply Googled literally different types of names. Like I did, I use different keywords to find different Westerns. I'm like, well, you know, we haven't, we haven't reviewed a spaghetti Western like parody or you know, a, a Western comedy in quite some time. So I just started throwing keywords together uh, and this one came up. And when I watched the trailer, I'm like, this actually doesn't look half bad. And it's being called a Kiwi Spaghetti Western. I mean, it can't be that bad, right? So completely by accident, you know, thank thanks to the the Google algorithm gods, I was able to find this movie because I, Clint, have you ever heard of this film, even like in passing? I think the only thing I saw was that it was on uh, it was on a streaming service, and I just passed it up. But I I never looked into it. Do you feel ashamed of yourself a bit? I do now after watching. Yeah, it. you know, it didn't it didn't really spark anything like the the yeah. uh, the image. You know what I mean? Right. When you're kind of scrolling, you're like, eh. So it's I very, just kind of—it's very average. Even the, yeah. the teas- or the posters is very normal. So I just scrolled right past it. But boy, I'm glad we did get to watch it. Yeah, for sure. 
Now, if it's not clear yet, this film is a satire, and due to its offbeat sense of humor, it plays at times like a parody, and I feel like it works that much better as a movie when you get into those moments that feel like it's a parody. The director also uses the filter of a spaghetti western to bring his very peculiar peculiar characters to life. The lead character is written much like the Leone archetype because he's simply known as the man. That's his official name that's credited to him in the film, the man. And he doesn't speak for most of the first act. When he finally does, Clint, his first words are what? My dick is broke. (laughs) That is literally his first line. And I believe that's at the end of the first act. That's how the first act, that's the setup for the movie. Yeah, you know how he goes, we talk the doc. Yeah, you know how we always talk about how you, when we break down films, you have the inciting incident, which is the first 10 minutes, which was there. This movie is actually written very tight as well. So you have the inciting incident. The woman is, is, uh, is kidnapped. She is almost raped. And we kind of understand why. He doesn't rape her. He, we get that vague idea that something's wrong with him, with his penis. But it isn't until the, the closing end of the first act that we get that definitive statement. Yes, we were right. Our intuition was correct. His dick doesn't work. And he says it. My dick is broke. And that's <laughs> the end of the first act, which signals the setup of the film. So it's very simple. It's comical. It's, I mean, it's satirical. It's satire at its best, honestly. Uh, and the writing, as I was saying, was, is just fine. It's a simple plot, but because it was littered with offbeat moments, the simplicity works in its favor. It felt like, and tell me if you got this at all, but it felt like an early Coen Brothers film at times with those odd characters that are kind of all thrown together. They don't quite yep. match each other, but bit. they all in. Yeah. And I mean, I'd even say maybe a little bit of Leone. Leone meets Coen Brothers. If the Coen Brothers attempted to make a spaghetti Western film, I feel like this is it. This is the the odd mutated baby that would be birthed. This film right here. Getting back to a statement that we made a few moments ago. Because this movie's just so much fun and and I don't want to say disturbing, but non PC. I guess we sure. can we can definitely agree with that. Not disturbing, non PC. They never play with they never they don't play fast and loose with rape. They don't no. make rape humorous. They no. they do not try to make it be something other than what it is. The, the guy is not a good person. That that much is clear. So they're not trying to play down rape but that being said this film would never be made right now no honestly 2011 was probably the cutoff yeah it's kind of a sign of the times like the end of an era (laughs) yeah how many times do we talk about on numerous discussions numerous shows where we say comedy in its truest sense, is essentially dead 
when it comes to the movie side of things. There's a reason why we don't get those great comedies anymore, because comedies are designed to push the envelope. It's designed to get, I don't want to say under your skin, but it's raw. It's supposed to be in your face. It's supposed to feel uncomfortable at times. We're just in a a time right now in both film and television where those boundaries aren't really pushed because of social media and many of the keyboard activists. You know, this movie would be riddled in today's environment if it even got made. I mean, this director, Mike Wallace, would probably be skewered and lynched for even coming up with an idea like this. And it's really a shame because how much art are we missing? How much art are we not getting because the times would not allow for something like this to be made? Because everybody's so sensitive. Right. Exactly. And again, this is what makes great pieces pushing the envelope for not just comedy, but all films. You have to be willing to take risks. It's a form of expression. Risk is a form of expression and art is expression. And it's just something that we cannot do right now. Truly. And I know uh, Takiti Watiti, whatever his name is, the director that just did Jojo Rabbit several months ago, he has made various comments about that, saying that's just not true. Uh, but he, he's also a very, um, and I don't have anything against uh, progressives. I would consider myself a progressive and when it comes to various things. His comedy plays it very easy. It's easy comedy. You're not really pushing the envelope. So I would disagree with him. I, I feel like you. there are things that you just cannot do right now. The slate of released films is is proof of that. It's going to be a while, I think, before we even get back to the art part of it. And I'm not saying that, you know, the, the envelope pushing is what I mean. You know, it's going to be a while. And you hear comics, if anybody, talk about that right now more than anybody, that their comedy has had to change you know, to certain things. And some of the best comics I think out there were the, the self deprecating dirty comics is if right. that's, you know, uh, that push the envelope and you see them now and that's what they're talking about. That's what they're making fun of, of how, how these people are, uh, destroying their comedy on social media, like you were saying, and blogs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And my my problem is, is if you if you see a rated R on a movie or you know you're going to a comedy thing, a uh, concert, more than likely there's going to be sections of it that you're going to be uh, possibly offended by, uh, disgusted by, and uneasy. But that's what it's supposed to do. And I never understood how people have, we've got, I don't know how we've gotten to this point where people have just become so onion skinned as far as stuff that they go pay the money to go see. Yeah. You've paid, you, you know what you're getting into if you go to a Quentin Tarantino film and then you, you read that they went and saw it and were offended. Yeah. Well, yeah. fucker, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't understand. Well, and I'm wondering 
I'm wondering if this is the reason why the director of this film hasn't worked since this movie, which is oh. a travesty in my opinion. Yeah. This was the director's Mike Wallace's feature debut. That's he was bad. an animation coordinator for New Zealand. That's how he started his career. And then he branched over into making films with this project here. And nothing since then. Nothing. It's like his career has just come to a complete screeching halt. That's too bad. Yeah. Because I could see moments where even after this one, he was only going to get better. You know? Yes. No, you're absolutely right. It seems like, yes, you're right. Because the, the, this film is, isn't revolutionary by any means, but it's one of those films, Clint, like you just said, that leads to more work. It's, it has just enough quirkiness to be a launching pad for more work. And I mean, I say this because it was a bit of an indie darling, it premiered at the Santa Barbara Film Festival. It screened at the Newport Beach International Film Festival. It screened in New York City. Uh, there was generally positive reviews from all the indie critics, film buffs, movie sites like The Hollywood Reporter and Variety, movie blogs. It was a filmmaker's favorite. It's what us film nerds gravitate to. This is the type of films we like. We enjoy whether it's a Western or a film noir or an action piece. There's something about this that we are drawn to these types of movies. Yes, it being a Western is an added bonus for us. But I could imagine you and I both enjoying this story, even if it wasn't a Western. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It has it, there's just great chemistry when it comes to everything. The synergy of everyone behind and in front of the camera just really worked. So it really blows me away that this guy isn't on top of the world right now. Why he hasn't done another three or four films minimum in the last 10 years. It is it is really, really crazy. Uh, it's one of those films that typically the film community rallies behind because you can tell it's an indie labor of love. Now, just a bit on this director, Mike Wallace. He began his career in a video store like many filmmakers do uh, in Queenstown, New Zealand at the age of 21. Uh, he was determined to make films and he moved to Wellington and made his first short film starring Brett McKenzie the time Miramar, a Wellington suburb, was starting to expand with production on Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, mm. and Wallace got a job as a runner. Uh, he moved up quickly through the ranks and was recognized by those in charge for his cheeky determination and good humor. <laughs> he found a niche in the animation and motion capture departments at the visual effects house at Weta Digital, eventually becoming the animation manager. This position allowed him incredible access, I'm sure, to learning opportunities and experiences across the spectrum of movie making. And he was able to watch the world's top directors develop and craft their stories at the highest level. Wow. I mean, A, Weta is huge. Yes. And one of the to, best. One of the best visual effects houses. And to be kind of a top dog. Holy crap. To be able to watch everything, that's awesome. 
Yeah, and he has worked on big pictures, okay? So some of the films he has worked as the animation coordinator uh, for Weta, well, before Weta, first, all three of the first Lord of the Rings films, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, The Return of the King. Then he moved over to iRobot uh, for Weta Digital, then King Kong as oh. the animation production coordinator, then The Water Horse as the animation production manager for Weta Digital, then The Day uh, the Earth Stood Still as the animation coordinator, uh, and then he also worked on Avatar as well. So this wow. guy was was doing some work on big fucking features here. And then uh, two years later, after Avatar, he debuted as a director for his own film. And then since then, not one credit. Wow. Is he still alive? Not one. <laughs> I actually Googled that. I actually Googled director Mike Wallace dead. Because I wasn't sure, like maybe he died. How does your career just stop? I, he was on top of the world, 2001 to 2009. This guy is living it up, working on some of the biggest pictures of that decade. Wow. Then he starts off with his own film, which for the most part, critically acclaimed. And then nothing. That's amazing. I, I, I love it, though. You know what I'm saying? I love that there's a mystery on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of I kind of like the mystery. I might reach out to his manager and see if we get an interview with him because I need to find out, like, wh- what has he been doing for 10 years? Did he get, like, really rich and wealthy and, like, get a hot piece of ass, you know? And then he's like, fuck it. This is what I worked for. Or was like, his I'm- buddies, like, making fun of him because it was, like, maybe a self-portrait that he was doing? <laughs> like, he had E.D.? So you you talking about like he found his wife or girlfriend much of the same way he had <laughs> erectile dysfunction. He was in a raper one night and then realized, hey, my dick's not working. And then he kept her around for a couple months in a basement. Yeah, she, and they she got Stockholm syndrome. Jesus, what? I don't think you know. I think we just ruined our chances for a potential I interview. Have. You you are still in the clear. Am I? I think so. I think by um. Guilty by association. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I think by default, I'm uh, screwed. Well, I'm sorry, Mike. Yeah, you know, I was listening to these guys for the first 20 minutes. Though, these guys are great, really loving my work. But then they accuse me of being a rapist. And yeah. and my wife's got Stockholm Syndrome. It's just, <laughs> that's not right. But he's got a good sense of humor. So that's, that's what we are. We're funny. That's right. Waka, waka, yeah. waka. You can't be soft, right? If you're willing, if you're willing to make films like that. Yeah, you got to be, got to. Be hard. Yeah. Tough. And ridged. You got to be hard and ridged sometimes. You got to have a strong, uh, girthy helmet sometimes. <laughs> wow. All right. You know what? We need to go to a very quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about some of the actors as well as the cinematography. We'll be right back. Don't y'all go nowhere. Weird West Radio will be right back. Right. You know, I use this to pump me up in the mornings. 
I put it on. Like reverse psychology? I, I, I go to the segment of the show where Tony just cursed me out. Mm-hmm. And I play it. Just to remind me. <laughs> to remind me of past sins and also the berating that I obviously like and need to start my day. I look in the mirror and I just. Fuck you. I'm like, look at your hair. Fuck you. Your hairline. Fuck you. Where is it going? Fuck you. Uh, your fucking nose. Fuck you. Your ears as you get older. Fuck you. Your fucking wrinkles. Fuck you. Your crow's feet. Fuck you. Your small dick. Fuck you. Your fucking belly fat. Fuck you. Where's your abs at? You do abs every day. Fuck you. Your chest, where? Fuck you. Biceps, where? Fuck you. I work out seven days a week. Fuck you. And yet I can't enjoy my food. <laughs> the Rain Man Show, exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Head over to RainmanDigitalMedia.com for more details or search for it wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Star Wars from the Bucket Tank exclusive. That thing's operational. How many times does the Colossus have to so be have trouble I, with fuel? So am I assuming that the next... You know, the entire first half of the season is going to be about them getting supplies. What is this? The Walking Dead season four where every Apparently. Episode, every episode they're getting supplies. Yeah. And then the person that went to go get supplies got lost and eaten. So they sent someone else to go look for the guy that got eaten. Plus, they need to get supplies. And then that person's <laughs> lost and eaten. So they sent another person to go get supplies. What? I'm serious. The Walking Dead season four did that about 20 times. times. Yeah. I'm going through deja vu here. <laughs> Think about it. What, our last couple of episodes, what are the things that they've been doing? They've been trying to get supplies for what? The Colossus. We need food. Let's go hunt Can down the giant just bring IG-11 in and self-destruct <laughs> this fucking ship? <laughs> and, like, what did IG-11 say in Mandalorian? Oh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I shall initiate self-destruct. Yeah. Can we just fucking do that to the show? <laughs> I think Justin Rich should just come into the writing room and just no, no, lay no. back and say, you know what? I'm going to initiate self-destruct. <laughs> Star Wars from the back to take exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Head over to RainmanDigitalMedia.com for more details or search for it wherever you listen to your podcast. That is correct. Y'all listen to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Weird West Radio. If you miss any part of this broadcast because you're listening to us on RM Channel 001 during Weird West Sunday. Hey. Yeah. You can find all of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Leave us reviews. Tell us we're dirty sons of bitches. I don't care. Either way, it works for us. I'm I'm the sensitive one. Are you? I don't know. Just flick yourself a few times and you won't be as sensitive. Okay. Yeah. You'll get hardened a bit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enough with these terrible, terrible jokes. All right. So let's talk about the actors involved here. I instantly fell in love with both of the leads here. Mm -hmm. I thought they were very, very good on film. Uh, The lead actor, Cohen Holloway, is an actor and writer known for the hunt for the wilder people in 2016 Eagle vs. shark in 2007. And he was actually in Thor Ragnarok in 2017. Uh, he's a working actor. He has not stopped working since 
I want to say 2003. Wow. Yeah. So since 2003, he has he has had various roles in TV shows, short films, theatrical films, rando TV shows. He was in the Spartacus TV series for a couple episodes. He's definitely a working actor. And I honestly totally bought into his Western character. I will say that I'm a little jaded when it comes to those actors that are cast to play the let's just call it what it is. The Clint Eastwood man with no name archetype. Yep. And many times they try to be stoic and they don't really guard their facial expressions. And many times when an actor tries his, tries his hand at this type of performance, what you get is a guy that's trying to look cool. It looks like he's trying to pose for Instagram. You know, he has the duck face going, you know, the lips are pursed together tightly. And he looks like he's just trying to be cool or trying to convince us that he's a badass. This guy wasn't trying to convince us of anything. Nope. I mean, number one, he had a limp dick. So you can't really be a badass. Let's just say that. Let's just be clear about that. But he was a convincing outlaw, rugged character, and he did the job that needed to be done. He was convincing with his gun moves, which I want to talk to you about that. You being a gun, a, a gun aficionado who knows not just a guy who collects guns, but you're a, a fast draw. Mm-hmm. How was the gun play? I thought it was excellent. That's one thing that I. How did he do? He did well. I mean, he's he's not using a fancy holster by any means. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, I can't. I can't, he, he was using a rough gun, so it wasn't like a, it was a, that old, um, like a ball and cap style gun. Mm, right. Plus he had kind of that sloppy holster on, excuse me. And I think for what he tried to pull off, it was, it was excellent. I mean, it, it, the gunfight, especially at the end, uh, was really badass. So, I mean, <laughs> I thought he did excellent with, uh, with everything. I don't know, especially in like New Zealand or wherever, if they have gun coaches and I didn't look it up, but mm-hmm. whoever taught him or if he was self-taught did excellent work. Yeah. He was a good actor just being the role. I don't feel like he was trying to play anything other than, a bad simple yeah just a simple outlaw yeah and you could tell that he understood what he needed to do and he didn't do he didn't overperform and that's the part i liked yes it was a very mellow nuanced performance he was focused he did great and i felt like the chemistry between him and the lead actress ing raidmayer was equally great uh, and i i feel like in a movie like this where you have a concept like this one, you have to have that synergy between the two. If the chemistry isn't there, you're not going to be able to sell this film. You're not going to be able to sell, sell this idea, the idea of an outlaw who's looking to rape the lead actress. And then they essentially fall in love. As we have said, it's a bit of a romance as well. If you don't buy into their relationship, this story would never work. Yeah. And I felt like even Ing Raidmayer did an, uh, an amazing job 
yes, she was a bit of that damsel in distress, uh, but she wasn't a weak, whiny character. I know that sometimes happens with some of these dated pictures where you get the damsel in distress. They're lost. They don't know what to do. They're not capable of taking care of themselves. But the thing is that she was capable of taking care of herself, but she was essentially a fish out of water. And that's why it worked. She was an immigrant. She had no idea of the wild, wild west. And she was a woman being tracked by numerous people that wanted to rape her. Uh, If anything, I felt like it was a, a realistic look into what it would be like to be a woman fresh off the boat tossed in the middle of the wild wild west where there is no fucking law well that's what i was going to say is that you know when we say damsel in distress we don't mean that she's trying to not get away she tried to get away i think did i count three times at least yeah right yeah so and but the odds were against her like you said she she saw the, the, I got to kind of backtrack here. The thing that I did like is they did make the um, the surroundings feel desolate. So when she goes up and she's going to run away and it's nothing but freaking desert. You know, that's perfect. Yes, because metaphorically, her prison wasn't necessarily him because there's various moments where exactly. he, it's, he allowed her to go throughout various moments in the movie, but her prison was the landscape was the environment. Yes. And then she goes into town and she just looks like a common whore because she's been tore up and, you know, her her clothes are all ratty. I mean, that stuff to me is what made this actually a smart film because again, she wasn't like a damsel in distress. Like, Oh, I'm, I can't do this. I can't ever get out. She tried so that to me was a she she played it really well and be great, great writing. The director made a, a point to not make her look weak, just simply out of her element. In fact, there was a moment that was just outright comical when he had first let her escape or he at least didn't really care what would happen to her. Like, yeah, go ahead and go run. You You see him thinking about things. That has nothing to do with her, like what he's going to do next. And in the background, she's out of focus and you see her trying to escape. And every direction she goes, there's a giant mountain that she can't climb up. <laughs> going up that hill. Yeah. <laughs> and she tried it like four different times. Yeah. And each and each side of the hill, she couldn't get up. And I'm just like, that's fucking funny. And then by the time he was done thinking, he's like, all right, I'm gonna go back and get her now. And she's like 10 feet away, even though she's been she had the opportunity to run for like five minutes. Yes. That's part of the humor of the film, but they made the idea, they made the humor work in a way that also showed how isolated they were and how she was a prisoner of the environment and not necessarily him. I would say she was a true prisoner of our lead character for maybe 30 minutes. Sure. And then after that, they became almost like. I want to say seemed together because of the scenario that they were in. Yeah. Because of the situation they were in. They were brought together. Yeah. And also him looking for a doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Ing Raidmare, and I'm hoping I'm saying her name correctly. uh, She also started within the visual effects department, which leads me to believe that the director had probably worked with her and then said, hey, I have a movie I'm working on. Would you like to be the lead? 
because uh, she worked on King Kong as a relocation coordinator. She worked on The Lovely Bones, which is another, uh, I believe that's a Peter Jackson film, as the production support team for What a Digital. She worked on Rise of the Planet of the Apes as a visual effects travel coordinator for What a Digital. And then she worked on The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, as support services for Weta Digital. So what do I have to play? Uh, you know, just a typical Western. Oh, sweet. First day on the cool. job, he's ripping her panties out. He's like, whoa. <laughs> she, like, don't worry, his dick doesn't work. Yeah. She's like, oh, okay. She's like, what? Yeah, here's the real script. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> Imagine selling this movie. She must, she had to have been his friend and she had to have had his sense of humor. Sure. Because or how do you some go quick up rewrites. to, <laughs> like, how do you go up to your, your coworker and be like, Hey, I got this movie. Yeah. Uh, You're here, kidnapped. He's looking for a doctor. Yeah. Cause if you never spoke, if you were like the weird guy, like working in the visual effects department that doesn't speak to anyone and you're like, Hey, I got a script. I want you to be my lead actress. Can you read it? Right. Like, wait a second. You want me to get raped? Yeah. Like well, they pro- have to be friends. It probably started out with kidnapped and then I need something. I need something creative and he's got it, but he's like, I, uh, you know what? He can't get it up. She's like, <laughs> all right. We'll make it work. But after this movie, never speak to me again. Thank you. The Academy is calling today. I do think that this film might have ruined their careers, though, because she also hasn't worked since this movie. We really need to see if there was a plane accident. Oh, wow. Well, maybe they got married. Maybe they got married and decided just to have sex for 10 years. I like your version better. (laughs) Mine's just why do I go dark? I don't know. All right, so this uh, young actress here, her bio, many actors want to move from in front to behind the camera. What? While many actors want to move from in front to behind the camera, Ian Raidmayer is one of the few actresses who reversed the process. South African-born actress Ian Raidmayer immigrated to New Zealand with her family when she was 15. As a performer from an early age, she completed a Bachelor of Arts in Film, TV, and Media Studies. Mm. And theater and drama studies at Auckland University, receiving a scholarship in acting. Also, during this time, she worked as a contemporary dancer with Black Grace's Youth's Dance Company for four years after University of Raidmayer studied uh, Meisner part-time, which is an acting style, and acted in very short films before making her big screen debut in Good for Nothing. Boom. Having spent the last seven years working at Academy Award-winning visual effects studio, what a digital Raidmayer has learned about the filmmaking business at a world-class level. Right on. But she hasn't done anything since 2012. I'm nervous for these people. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're Cohen Holloway. He He's still working. In fact, he has a feature film coming out, I want to say, later this year. I think we need to contact him to see if he ha- if he knows where these people are. Yeah, like, hey, bro. Remember that movie where your dick didn't work? Yeah. Where's great, everyone else at? Great movie. But yeah. what happened to everybody? <laughs> I loved your work. I mean, I definitely believed you when you said your dick didn't work. I mean, yeah. just, just you know, emoting. You emoted the, the pain <laughs> that the rest of us would feel as well. We definitely empathized with I you. I felt it with you, man. Y- yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I have a question for you. Oh, you want to interview me? I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> where's everybody else at? Like, what happened? Like, we're we're seriously concerned. Yeah. 
pretty funny. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Another thing I really liked about this movie was the cinematography. Oh, I, I mean, it's really good. It's not really just it's, it's not passable. It's really good. And the cinematographer for this flick was Matthew Knight. Another guy from the animation department. So I'm starting to think that these were a group of friends that all talked about making a movie about a guy that wanted to rape a girl and couldn't because his dick didn't work. Is Matt still working? I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) He, let's see. Yes. He, his last, his last project was in 2017. So it's been three years, but yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm willing to bet that the, we were kind of just riffing at the beginning that a couple of buddies were drinking and they came up with this idea, but it's starting to look more and more like that's actually the case. What if she came up with the idea of ED? That's Tell amazing. me, that'd be great. I know. Oh, she's a down chick then. I'm like, what's up girl? <laughs> she's like, wait, you're saying I'm getting kidnapped. How about this? And they're like, they're like, oh my God, you're, oh, you're freaking great. <laughs> Like I have a, I have an idea for you. I'm like, I have a, I have a movie. Uh, it's a sequel to a little film you did in 2011. Um, but it's more of an, a biography on me. Cause my dick don't work. That's <laughs> so, 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 so stupid. That's awful. So, all right. So the cinematographer, we're not going to have any listeners. I mean, I'm sure they've signed out. They're like, what the hell? Oh are no, you they're just waiting for the about? next one. Really? You think? Oh yeah, I would be. <laughs> All right, so this gentleman, Matthew Knight, started working, looks like, back in 2003 as a camera operator for the Tribe TV series, uh, went on to work on another film, Aftershock, Paradise Cafe TV series, uh, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey as the motion reference camera operator, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, lead motion capture camera operator, and then The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. As the lead motion reference camera operator. So has not worked much as a cinematographer since I take that back. Oh, my God. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Let's see here. Yeah, he is still working as a cinematographer up until 2019. So it looks like he's going back and forth between cinematographer and then uh, the visual effects department. Matt, we're going to we're glad you're alive. Yeah, this guy is definitely working. And his camera work is so great. Uh, I, I think the the best part for me, and I'm anxious to hear what you liked about his work. My favorite part was the use of natural light. Mm. Uh, it felt many times that he was just simply using a shiny board. Uh, even at night, there was this way he diffuse the lighting that felt more natural rather than a lot of harsh tones, which I don't have a problem with that, especially for a stylized picture, but something like this uh, where it's more of a, a grounded, even though it's funny, it is a grounded Western. So I feel like the choice in lighting worked. It felt natural. It didn't feel like it was shot with a bunch of lights, which is what we get sometimes in Western, especially at night you're like, wait a second. Yeah, four moons. That doesn't make sense. Everything was diffused properly. And my favorite was the desert shot, especially the ending scene where the two lead actors were behind that rock hiding. 
there's something about the way that was shot, the depth of field. They were sharply and focused or they were sharp. It just looked really good. There's a lot of layers, a lot of depth. So just great work all the way around when it comes to the cinematography. What about you, Clint? What did you pick out? I I love that it looked like we were it we were just flies on the wall some of the time. You know, it uh it gave us that of course vast you're away from everything except for that one town. Mm-hmm. Um, my, so I loved every, I almost want to say I loved every shot, but the one that I was kind of concerned about, and I'm, maybe you can correct me is probably yeah. the one you just talked about. The one with the rock where the shootout mm-hmm. kind of happened in the Canyon. Yeah. Was it on a stage? I don't think so. I just think they found a little nook. Okay. In a little, in a little Canyon area and they managed to frame out what they wanted that's what I'm talking about. Natural light. Like, yes, it did have a, um, it had a controlled look and that's probably why you have that question, but I've done shots in the desert just like this, where you look for a controlled scene where you could actually control the light and use shiny boards as if you were in a studio. So I'm willing to bet they probably shot either in the early morning or evening when the sun wasn't right above them. Well, it was beautiful. That's why I was going to say, if it was yeah. on stage, the stage people need to be commended. commended. I love yeah. it. And if yeah. it's not, everybody else needs to be commended. Cause that was really kind of a cool uh, deal. And also the sound of the pistols and the rifles and the shotguns going off. Just, I, I would love to hear this like in a theater. Uh, yeah. I, I think it would be, Pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. Everything about this movie worked. Let's just go right into our final thoughts. Uh, let's go ahead and um, let me see. How can we do this? Let's go to swing open into those. a bar. <laughs> yeah, let's go into those. Let's walk through those saloon doors. Swing. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and put myself in a jail cell. There's a for the sake of argument, there's a jail cell in the saloon and I'm going to put myself behind the jail cell and I'm going to encourage you while you're having sex during this review. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and do it. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That was a weird spot, too. It's OK. I like to watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go ahead. How many? No, not how many shots. What is your RMD score? I'm going 95. Wow, I think that's the highest you've ever gone. I think so too. I the reason I'm going to go that high is a uh, everything I've pretty much said, but I'm just going to reiterate it. The story was unique. It was maybe I just came up with a uh, term, but quirky cool. Yeah. I may have said it before too, but I, I like the quirky coolness of this this film, and uh, everything seemed to work from from the ED. To trying to find some help to getting chased down to you know I mean everything just worked and the cinematography was on point um, the sound design was on point I love the gunshots uh, you know and not every movie needs their leading guy to run his fucking mouth and nothing sucks more than some dude trying to be a baddie and he runs his mouth and you're just like you're just stupid this guy yeah. kept it quiet. He knew how to handle a gun. We know he, we we saw he could handle a gun. We knew he wasn't a good guy. Um, 
the story just flowed just right, and so that's why I'm going with a 95. Okay. I, I can't disagree with anything you said, honestly. Um, I'm going to give this a 92%. It, I, I, it's not a perfect movie. No. But it, it, but the thing is, is it wasn't trying to be a perfect movie. The director was not trying to do anything other than make a specific type of Western. And he accomplished that. He wanted to do something that felt like a spaghetti Western, but also was unique and had his own layer to it, which is what every director should attempt to do. They need to have their own style. And I feel his style all over this. He understands the Western. He understands comedy. He understands the true art of satire, comedic timing. And I'm not one of the biggest fans of comedy Westerns. I'm not. And yet this movie was convincingly an action film and convincingly a comedy Mm -hmm. and convincingly a romance. All three genres rolled into one and it was convincing. There, there wasn't a moment where I scratched my head, rolled my eyes and said, I, I see what you're doing, dude, but it's not working. This movie worked. This movie worked and it's accomplished exactly what this team set out to do. And that's why I give it a 92%. And I feel like every Western fan should run out and check this out. In fact, I watched it for free on Crackle, which you can do. I almost didn't want to say that because I would want people to go purchase it, but I'm going to actually purchase the Blu-ray. It's on my Amazon wish list, and I will be ordering it this weekend because it's a film that I feel like if you're a Western enthusiast, you should definitely add it to your collection. Yeah, don't see it on Crackle. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like my viewing option. I had some issues with the the Crackle. Well, there's commercials, but even which... the commercials, it it would kick me out. And stuff, so I don't know if it's just me, but I I would anybody who's gonna watch it, just buy the DVD. It's like eleven bucks, I believe, yeah. on Amazon it, right now. And we'll, in fact, we'll throw a link on our our podcast description. <laughs> You'll enjoy it more. My viewing wasn't great either. Um, I don't have problems with Crackle typically, but because this is a movie, uh, the commercials are automatically triggered on Crackle because it's a commercial streaming service. And that's how they pay themselves because it's free. So the commercials are oddly triggered. They just come in at the worst time in the middle of an action sequence, yep. in the middle of a, a a a soundtrack that's roaring and the heroes are galloping away. Oh, commercial about Clorox. I'm like, really? <laughs> so if you want to watch this movie, just buy it. It's it's worth the money. So all right. Well, this concludes this episode discussion on good for nothing directed by matt wallace and i want to thank everybody for listening thank you clint thank you michael and good night stay hard america (laughs) (laughs) don't be limp or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs>